Well, we're going to turn to the book of Philippians uh, for the final time in this series on Christ-likeness. Um, today, in, uh, we've gone every two weeks into one chapter, once here all together and then in our home gatherings. And so this is our final two weeks, so we're in Philippians chapter 4. So if you turn to that passage with me today, you might want to follow along a little bit. Um, I said to Sarah when we, we sat down to pray before the service today, I pulled my notes up to look over them again, and I said, I have way too much sermon here. <laughs> so make sure you're comfortable. No, I'll, I just, what I, what, I, what I promise to do is edit on the fly. We're okay. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been in this book, and we've been, we've been praying this prayer together as a church, uh, and it, it's simply this, that I may know him, and be made like him. So we've been, we've been considering that prayer. Many of us have been praying that prayer. And certainly as a church, we're praying that. That we would know Jesus. That we would know Christ. Not just about him or, you know, that someone else knows him. But that as a church, we would know him intimately. That we would come into a deeper relationship with him. And in that relationship then, be made like him. And so we've been praying that together, and my encouragement to you is to continue to pray that. Um, we've considered together the way of Jesus, and that when we walk the way of Jesus, when we are like, uh, to use the language of the Bible, when we become like disciples or followers of Jesus, and we follow him, something really naturally and organic happens in our lives. We become like him. And so to follow Jesus is to walk in the way of Jesus. It's to walk in the way of the cross. And so we looked in... Philippians 1, and we talked about this crazy phrase of Paul's where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it is kind of reminiscent of this way of Jesus. Alexa walked us in Philippians chapter 2 through the way of Jesus being a way of humility and what it looks like to, like Jesus invited us to do, to die to ourselves, right? To let our, ourselves become nothing like Christ did in the way of Christ and to humble ourselves. And then Two weeks ago, we looked uh, at Philippians chapter 3 and this idea of as we walk the way of Jesus, forgetting what lies behind and striving for what is in front of us. Uh, and not in the sense of works righteousness or trying to gain or convince Jesus to do or be something for us, but as a natural response to having encountered Jesus. Right? And we looked at the parables of the pearl and the treasure uh, the treasure of great value and having found it, how the natural response would be to do everything you can to take hold of it, right? to make it yours. And so the question that I left with us two weeks ago, and I start with it again this morning, is simply this, do you want to know Christ and be made like him? I, I've said we're praying that as a church, but I don't want to assume that for you. In fact, I can't. For me to tell you that this is what you have to pray or should pray is a waste of my energy and my breath. Except that you choose inside your heart and your life to say, yes, you know what, I'm going to pray this prayer that I might know him and be made like him. And I hope over the past few weeks, you've realized the weight of that prayer, that you can't pray that prayer and hold on to some of the things you may not want to let go of. You can't pray that prayer and then put a bunch of caveats on the back end. And so it is a weighty prayer, and I just want to acknowledge that I'm aware of that. 
But I do still want to invite you to pray it. And as we look at Philippians 4 together today, maybe it becomes clear as to why you might want to consider praying that again this week and as we continue on our life together as a church. To anchor us, let me share quickly one story from Synod and then one from the gospel passage that we read. I met a, a man who I'd not met before. He's a priest in Ottawa at St. Peter, St. Paul's. His name is Ben. And Ben stopped me because I had just been interviewed by Bishop Dan about our church and shared about Emmaus Road. And he was so excited about what he was hearing, so he wanted to talk. But as we talked, I realized, I found out who he was. He had been a curate, which is sort of like a, a priest in training, a, a, an intern at St. Peter, St. Paul's with a dear man named Brent Stiller. Brent was the priest there for a number of years and had been an active priest in, our, in Annex Diocese right from its beginning. Uh, Brent was one of the big, exciting points for me personally of coming into Annex. But before we as a church came formally into Annex, uh, since last year's synod, uh, Brent died very suddenly of cancer. Uh, he had about a two, three-week window where they knew he wasn't okay and, and, and we lost him. And so I've been grieving that and waiting for him, but when I met Ben, I realized, wow. And we sat and we talked. Ben had been a curate under Brent and had learned from a man. The reason I was so excited to walk life with Brent is that Brent was uh, in charge of clergy care and for a good reason. And so Ben had experienced this love and this care. But Ben had also watched Brent and highly admired him, as many of us did, because Brent was a man who was very Christ-like. He walked very humbly. He sacrificed massively for the sake of the gospel in the church. And Ben shared with me how hard that was for him to have watched a man who gave so much of his life to Christ and to the church have his life taken so quickly and at such a young age. I thought, well, that makes sense to me. And so we sat together and we, we grieved that together and he shared. But one of the things that came up in our conversation was Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. And it's the verses that I take our prayer out of as we've walked through this together. It says this, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Those are, those are life verses for me, personally. But as we've walked through this letter, I think they're grounding verses. Those are some central verses to this letter. Paul exp expresses his heart that I may, be like, may know him and be made like him, but realizing that part of what that means is to not only be made like him in his resurrection, but before something can be risen from the dead, it has to die. And so I want to be made like him. I want to be united with Christ also in his suffering and his death. As I talked to Ben, I realized what an incredible gift that actually is to us. That in the grief for Ben, uh, certainly for Brent's wife and family and for the whole community at St. Peter's, St. Paul's, the ability to be united with Christ, not only in the joy and the excitement and the wonder of life, but also in the pain and the sorrow and the suffering of life, is an incredible gift. And one that we may not pray for, a prayer like that I may know him and be made like him is something that we may think, why? I put that question, I know why? Why would I pray that? Especially after everything you've laid out, Chad. That I may know Christ and be made like him, why would I pray that? What I want to suggest is, we don't ask that why question when we're in suffering. When we're in suffering, the prayer quickly rises to the surface 
Lord, that I might know you here. Otherwise, I'm lost. And so the second story to anchor us this morning is the gospel passage that was read, where Christ is in the midst of the storm at peace. To be made like him, to sit in the throes of life and to see the things that come at us, sometimes in almost an assaulting fashion. You know, one of the things Ben said to me was, the hardest part of this is it's not fair. And I said to him, I said, yeah, and you don't have to make caveats on that. What happened with Brent is not fair, actually. But how familiar Christ is with the unfairness of the human experience. And so to find company, to find union there, that I might know him and be made like him, when we find ourselves in the boat in the middle of the storm, we don't go, why would I want to be like that guy? The whole boat goes, what's with that guy, and how do I get more of that? Right? And so as we head into this passage in Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to move through it fairly quickly just because of time, I want us to hold these stories, but maybe these stories stir up for you some of your own. Maybe right now as you sit here, you want to come conscious to, aware of not only the joys of life, but also the struggles of your life. Because into this space, into this why question, we have Paul as a pastor, Paul as an apostle, step in and speak some things that if we don't quiet our hearts and allow ourselves to be humble and to hear them can come in these places of our lives as completely offensive. When I read these passages from Paul, I'm going to read them in kind of three quick sections. You're going to recognize how hard these things can be to hear if you're having a bad day. But it comes from a man, it comes from Paul, who says later on in the passage, uh, part of this, uh, verses 11 to 12, I'm not speaking of one being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. So as Paul begins to speak into these parts of our lives, know that you're not hearing from some kind of holier-than-thou clergy guy who doesn't get it. What Paul's saying is, I'm about to say some things, they might hit you a little funny, especially if you're struggling right now. Especially if you're in a position like my friend Ben in Ottawa and his community, or like the disciples in the boat. But we can listen to Paul because Paul's not speaking to us from some um, kind of holy high horse that hasn't touched these things. Paul's saying, trust me, I get it. And I've learned in contentment, in good and in bad and in struggle, to be content. To walk at peace. And it should, it should tweak us. It should cause us in a similar way that if you were in the boat with Jesus to go, what's with that guy and how do I get more of that? So into our lives, Paul begins to speak, and I would like to suggest that he unfolds for us, I'm going to break it down anyways in this way, to three essentials to Christ-likeness. If you want to be Christ-like, if you are praying this prayer and your heart's desire is for it to be answered, that you would know Jesus and be made like him, I want to suggest that Paul points us to three things that are essential 
in your life if that's going to be, that prayer is going to be answered, if you're going to walk into the fullness of Christ-likeness. The first thing is this. Paul speaks to us in verses 4 to 7 about what I'm going to refer to as posture. He talks to us about our posture. And the question I want you to hold on to as we look at this is this. How are you standing? Or how are you postured? In relationship to your situation, to life, to God, to others, how are you postured? And so verses 4 to 7 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. These are beautiful verses, important verses, ones that I come back to often personally and pastorally, but they can be verses that are hard to hear when we're struggling. Uh, if someone comes to me and shares the storm they're in the middle of, I don't usually answer back with, Rejoice always, brother. But what I want to suggest and maybe challenge a little bit is this. Do you realize that in every circumstance, in every moment of your life, no matter what you're feeling and what's coming against you, you have some agency? We live in a world, especially as it relates to our emotions and our feelings, that does not believe they have any kind of control or choice to be made when they experience or feel things. And so they are held captive, and I would use this language, they are ruled by circumstance, by emotion, by feeling. Because deep inside, and at the core of them, to be true to self, the, the, the logical implication in the, in the mind of many Westerners is that you can't actually and shouldn't even fight those things. That those things can't, you have no control over them, no agency in relationship to them. And interestingly enough, um, I would say it has made its way into my own heart, into my own life, and certainly into the church. And what the problem with that is we become then subject to or captive to our circumstance and to the emotions that we're experiencing. And often Christians become ruled by these things. And so into this, though, Paul seems to be saying something different. He says to us, as the, those who follow Jesus, rejoice in the Lord always. And the Greek word there for rejoice is the same Greek word that gets used in many parts of the New Testament where, where joy is spoken of. So rejoice, joy. And he says, have joy always. Well, wait a second, Paul. Right? My friends in Ottawa are going through something pretty massive, and you want to say to them, rejoice? Seems a little insensitive. How could we expect that of them? How could we expect that to be honest or real? Well, part of the reason is because if we look through the rest of Paul's letters, and you look, I encourage you to even do it, look through and look for joy and look for the references to joy, he speaks of joy as a fruit. The joy isn't actually something, praise God, that you need to make happen in your life. But the joy is actually like fruit, and in the same way fruit flows naturally out of the life of a tree, joy, rejoicing, flows 
naturally out of the life, the heart of a follower of Jesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. That's why Christ is at peace in the midst of the boat. It's not because he's a better, you know, he's got everything sorted out and he just is better than everybody else in the boat. It's because he's present to the Father and the Spirit is at work in his life. It's the same reason why when they come to him and say, you don't care we're dying, he says, oh, you have little faith. Right? He's not saying, can't you get this figured out? Can't you try harder? Can't you pull your crap together? <laughs> I don't usually say that. <laughs> I'm tired. But anyway, um, what he's saying is, if you would come into union with the Father, if you would allow yourself to be united with me, you would probably be postured like I am in the midst of this storm. Because it's the natural outflow. So he says, rejoice. And then he says, in, in, inside of that rejoicing, in, 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 in um, addition to this rejoicing, this joy, that if you look back at Philippians chapter 1, verse 25, has always been the pastor's heart of Paul. It's like when he measures, hey, how are we doing here? He looks at his congregations and says, are, is there joy? Philippians chapter 1, verse 25. I am pouring myself out on your behalf. Why? That your joy may be complete. That my joy may be complete. He's looking at it and saying, as those who come to this table week after week after week, there should be a natural outflow of production of joy, the rejoicing. And what he's trying to say to him, I know there's going to be days when you don't want to rejoice. I'm saying to you, friends, rejoice. Always. And again I say, rejoice. And then he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So rejoice and let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That Greek word there sometimes gets tra translated gentleness. But if rejoicing is about our posture towards God, this um, reasonableness is about our posture towards others. Be the kinds of people, be the peacemaker. Let the one who, as you walk through life, and, and, and how many of you know that often your storms are connected to someone? Right? Let's just be real. He says, let your reasonableness be known. Speaking of our posture, let clemency, moderation, generosity, tolerance, let these things mark who you are, that you're not the kinds of people who are just looking for somebody to say something about vaccines that you disagree with. <laughs> but come in generosity. You want to press that one a little bit, I encourage you to ask Jana about a, a podcast I think that she listened to one time uh, about um, a woman who went, um, was she a, a Muslim woman, that one? Um, but she went to the, um, I'm going to get it wrong, KKK? The leader of the KKK to sit down and listen and through that generosity won him over. Like, that's what Paul's saying. Be the kinds of people who walk in such a way that would make room for people in your life. Let your reasonableness be known, right? In your posture towards others. One of the, one of the um, commentaries that I read translated it this way, said you could almost translate it this way, let your friendly, well-balanced character be known to all. This is a Christ-like Posture, this rejoicing, this reasonableness. 
that Jesus was like this. This is where Paul's getting it from, right? This is what life in the Spirit looks like. But how utterly difficult and impossible it can feel, especially when we're up against it. But Paul doesn't believe that when we're up against it, we are captive to it or subject to it. In fact, he says, if you follow Jesus, you're free to walk in the life of Christ, to be Christ-like, no matter your circumstance, no matter what happens in your mourning, no matter what happens in your working. And so he says, for example, let me, show, let me say this, don't be anxious about anything. What? He's got to be kidding. Certainly he couldn't understand. He, he, he must not get it. He, how could he be, be, be anxious about nothing, Paul? Have you watched the news lately? Even if I can pull that off, how could I possibly say that to my brothers and sisters in Israel, in the Gaza Strip? Have you seen the state of my marriage? Have you seen my bank account lately? Are you aware of just how little control I actually have over my children? Paul says, knowing all of those things full well, be anxious for nothing. This is what this posture looks like. Be anxious for nothing, but in a posture of rejoicing and reasonableness, and he goes on to add thanksgiving. All things that Paul suggests we can choose. And that's the piece that I want to hang on today. Do you have some agencies that relates to rejoicing, reasonableness, and thanksgiving? You can choose those things. And I want to, I, I feel this morning it's almost a, a bit prophetic to speak it out over you this morning, to speak it out over the parts of your heart where the enemy or culture has tried to tell you that's not true of you. You can choose rejoicing, reasonableness, and thanksgiving in every moment, in every situation. And there may be days when even more than others, that is an act of spiritual war. But I'm going to pray for you in a moment that the Lord would help you with it. Instead, he says, in, in, in rejoicing, reasonableness, and thanksgiving, pray. So don't be anxious about anything. Pray. Let your posture be one of prayer. And here's this incredible promise. If you do, if you choose those things and that you let them bring you to a place of prayer, your heart and your mind, in other words, your entire being, everything that you are, including your emotions, your feelings, your worries, your everything that you are, your heart and your mind, will come under the protection of Jesus. You'll be united with Christ. And like we already touched on and have over these weeks, if you're united with Christ, you're going to just become more and more like him. So your posture is the first thing. And then the second two I'll spend less time on, but the second thing is after posture, we want to think about our perspective. And the question that I would leave with you here is, where are you fixing your eyes? So how are you standing? How are you postured? in relationship to others and to God and to your circumstance, but then in that space where you find yourself, where are your eyes? Where are you looking? 
And Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. But it doesn't get more, much clearer than that. So the second thing is perspective. Where are you fixing your eyes? And the, the, the scripture here invites us to meditate upon the things of God. To meditate upon Christ-likeness. Everywhere that we see it. The true, the honorable, the just. I tell you, when I'm in a storm, that is often not where my eyes are. And if it's the storms of life, my eyes aren't there. But I tell you, if one of you's on the other side of that storm, then I'm really in trouble. Right? Is that fair? When, when it's someone else in my life, I'll tell you where I'm meditating on all their crap. <laughs> they are twice in one sermon, sorry. Oh. You know, we can get looking at the news and we can get thinking about politics and we can get looking at world events and we can find ourselves... And these aren't, these aren't wrong things. We should be aware. But my question is, while you're in the middle of it, where, is your, where, is your, where are you fixed? What is your perspective? And what is shaping your perspective? Right? Because if I look, I love that we pray for Justin Trudeau every Sunday. Because part of what happens for me in my heart every time we do is I have a perspective shift. Right? Jana led us in prayer this morning. She did such a beautiful job of partway through praying for Gaza. She prayed for those that we may just want to be critical of full stop. Let us see that they are those that you love and that they would come to understand that. Wow. What a perspective shift. It's not about being ignorant or unaware, but it's about where are my eyes fixed. And if my eyes are fixed on Jesus, if they're fixed on the way of the cross, if I'm posturing this place and meditating upon these things, how massively would that shape my life, my relationships, my circumstance? The third thing that I would have us look at then is proximity. And the question that I would leave you with on this front is who are you imitating? Paul says in verse 9 of chapter 4, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Who are you imitating? I think it's amazing that Paul says, imitate me, but I, I have to come back to, and I, I would love to say that with more confidence than I feel like I can as your priest. Um, but imitate me, I think my, my, my confidence there comes from the same place it comes for Paul, where Paul often through this letter has said, it's not that I've arrived, it's not that I've got it figured out, but if you look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he starts that chapter with this very powerful but simple phrase, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul's confident to say imitate me because Paul has prayed that prayer, that I might know him and be made like him, and he's committed to it. So he figures he's good. Who are you imitating? I don't want to get on too much of a rabbit trail, but I, I, I'm concerned sometimes for my own heart and the heart of, uh, of the church 
when it seems like our cue is often coming from culture. When we see incredibly necessary places of injustice and where it needs our attention, but our knee-jerk reaction is to respond in the same, it sounds just like culture. Now sometimes we might stop, fix our eyes on Jesus, and it might sound the same. Maybe culture's getting it right. They don't always get it wrong. But heavens, have we even stopped to ask? And the question is, who am I imitating? When people see me, do they see Jesus? That's the question. And so we want to think about, as we pray this prayer for Christ-likeness, we want to think about our posture. How am I carrying myself, particularly in relationship to my circumstance? Right? How am I standing? We want to think about our perspective. Where am I fixing my eyes? Right? I don't know if your parents ever use this one with you, but you know, the garbage in, garbage out. You know, like getting, we can keep it as simple as we need to, if it helps, right? But where are we fixing our eyes? Right? What, what are we watching? What's consuming our time? And then finally, our proximity. Who are you close to? My posture, my perspective, and my proximity. Who am I imitating? And friends, I want to encourage you that God has put in your life, because he is so faithful, I'm confident of it, people in your life, and if you can't find them, let's pray together for them, because God wants to put people in your life that you can imitate. Who around you is Christ-like? Now, friends, uh, look around right now. You're surrounded by people who are praying that prayer. Come close. Speak into each other's lives. Learn from one another's examples. Right? Two weeks we'll have Bishop Mike here. Oh, not Bishop yet. I shouldn't do that. He's, he, he's going to be. <laughs> Bishop-elect. Bishop Dan. Our clergy. Grant Jillian, Mike and Sarah, Stuart Nan. Like we, 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 friends, we have an incredible treasure in the church. That to follow Jesus, because I guess, my, I guess my fear is that I would say, who are you imitating? And you say, Chad, I'm good, I've got Jesus. And I, I just want to say that I think by his own providence and in his wisdom, he said, yeah, but I'm going to embody that. I actually want you at church. I want you in the community. Because it's actually as you come alongside flesh and blood who can speak into your life, who can encourage you. And I'll never forget when Grant and Jillian first started coming to our church, and I'll close with this story. Um, Alec was preaching. And Alec's an incredible preacher. He'll be, he'll be preaching uh, in, in, in the new year again. Uh, but I, I remember I was talking to Grant. Now, often when I'm talking to someone, because I have this in, you know, there's this tendency to kind of be like, oh, I'm with the important guy. There's nothing takes their attention away. Grant, all of a sudden, he comes off the stage and Grant just exited our conversation, mid-conversation, because he had to get to Alec to speak into and encourage him as the young man that he was and for what incredible job he'd done. Now, let me just tell you, I was not upset that Grant had exited our conversation. I was blown away. Because praise God, who are you imitating? Who, who has God put in your life to, to exemplify Christ-likeness in the pursuit of it? Who in your life is forsaking what lies behind and striving for what lies ahead? Tuck in close.
Let those people be the gift that God intended them to be in your life. Adam, would you come? Friends, we're just going to uh, take a moment as we transition into the table, and Adam's going to lead us in a song of worship. And I want us to actively live into, as we come to the end of Philippians together, to pray this prayer and to pray it using these three things that I've laid out. I want to practice posture, perspective, and proximity. I need, to make, like, I need to make those acronyms with shorter words is the problem. I want us to practice this today. And so as Adam leads us in this very familiar song, I want us to allow this song, he's going to lead us in the song called Open the Eyes of My Heart. Um, and this is biblical language. This is a, from the book of Ephesians, right? Paul uses this idea. Because when we talk about perspective, like where are you fixing your eyes, we're not, we, I mean, I think we can think literally about that. You know, what are you watching? Where are you on the internet? I mean, we can get very specific, right, about where am I looking, but certainly what I'm trying to speak to is metaphorical as well, that we're also talking about the eyes of our heart, of the core of our being. Where am I fixated? Where is my meditation? Right? And so as he leads us in this familiar song, I asked him to use this song because it, we know it. We wouldn't, the words will be up, but you probably don't even need them. To just sit in this place, let's practice together. So think about right now, not just in this very moment, but in your life, in your circumstance, your posture. How are you standing in relationship to the place you find yourself? Maybe you're holding studies. You're coming near to the end of the semester. Maybe you are a spouse or a parent. Maybe you're working through the ins and outs of illness in your life. Maybe you've got people in your life or circumstances that you can feel the weight of. Maybe even just current events are overwhelming you today. Let's practice together as we worship posture. Let's think about where God are my eyes and let's take this time to allow ourselves to make some choices. Friends, don't be ruled by your circumstance. Allow the Spirit of God to rule in your life. So let's worship together and then we'll come to the table. Open the eyes of